We're in a study in Timothy. And I don't know, it's been a great journey, learning a lot. And, you know, the focus is on being faithful. He wants Tim- Timothy. And, and isn't it great how God uses his word to do this kind of, you know. So here you have Paul writing a personal letter to Timothy. And he gets across a message he wants to get to young Timothy, who is this young guy that we've already studied that, uh, that Paul's ministry in Lystra and Derby that, that you know, some of Timothy's family got saved. And then we find out his grandma and his mom are like, you know, they were, they were raised Jewish. But then when they heard the gospel, they embraced it and they became devout Christians and great faith in God. And that same faith they handed right on down to Timothy. And uh, Timothy is growing and strong. And, and by the time Paul comes around on his second trip, that he comes on his second journey and he stops by there. Timothy is on fire for God and, and, and Paul sees that God has a call on his life and God sees that part of that call is preaching the prophetic word of God. Preaching the word of God. Word prophecy means to speak forth. He was speaking forth the word of God and that God has hand on him and Paul wanted to take him with him and actually took him with him. So Paul begins to mentor and train Timothy and then some of the churches that Paul started that Timothy then is left there to be the pastor. We know right now Timothy is in Ephesus. And Ephesus, as I've told you, if you've paid attention over the last little bit, Ephesus is a wicked place. They've even got a temple there to this goddess, and there's all kinds of raunchy stuff goes on as they worship this goddess in their pagan worship. It's, it's, it's really, it's so the, the people that are there that are getting saved, that are Gentiles, man, they're coming out of a mixed up mess, all right? Worse than what we got going on in our country even. But then you have people who have moved there in that area that are Jewish, and they were raised under the Old Testament, and some of them were legalistic. And then you have just, you know, you, so you've got persecution from the, the world and persecution from those Jews who rejected Christ. But guess what? Thank you. Uh, the worst pressure usually doesn't come from outside. Satan's biggest work comes from inside. Did you know that? I mean, even in your life, sometimes it's not persecution and pressure from the outside. It's the battles that come from within, from that sinful nature. Even though we're a new creature, we're still in the sin-cursed body. There's still, there's still that fleshly nature that has to be dealt with from within, from our thoughts from, from our, our greed, our pride, our lust, all those things. In the church, the attack, the attack at this point, there was persecution. But the big thing Paul was always concerned about, he wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned about the attacks from within. That there were people within that were departing from God's truth. And they were getting involved in false teaching and error. And so Satan has a very subtle inside attack to dilute the gospel and to turn our faith. We get very religious, but we turn our faith away from Jesus. That was happening in Ephesus already. All right? Are you ready to read the text? Because we're going to, I'm going to introduce a word. Guess what the word of the day is today? Class. The word of the day is discipline. We're going to talk about discipline today. And I'm going to do this chapter in two parts, I pray. Discipline for the truth. And then, Lord willing, next week, discipline for godliness. And then we're going to carry on into Father's Day about more discipline in our mind and our hearts, okay? All right, you, are you good? You got, you, are you tuned in? All right, all right. let's read this. And you're going to see that already there are people departing from the truth and not being faithful and not being... He's going to bring up this idea of discipline. Ready? Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 
Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. And when he uses the word faith that way, it doesn't mean that they just stop believing. The faith, when he says the faith, he's talking about that teaching in which we have faith. They depart from the faith, the true teaching, the truth. All right, so he says that some will depart from the faith. And I, I know that's how he's using it because he talks about immediately that they're believing wrong things. It says giving heed or they're getting seduced by deceiving spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons. In other words, he says this teaching that they try to even find Scripture to match up with does not come from God. It's not the truth. In fact, it comes from the pits of hell, you might say, that the enemy is planting these Seeds of falseness rather than truth. And see, remember, the best liar is the liar that tells the lie that sounds the most like the truth. I had this guy back home, he's always seeing black panthers. Anytime he's out coon hunting, or anytime, you know, he's running his walker hounds, he's always seeing these black panthers, and he, see bear, he even sees UFOs occasionally. Nobody ever believed anything he said because he always told such whoppers, you know. Remember the boy that cried wolf, and then all of a sudden, you know, well, if there was a bear or something, nobody would believe him. But, so, so, but, but the liar that is the best liar, if you want to call it that, is the liar who tells the lie that sounds the most like the truth. Satan's the father of lies. So this is why we've got to be disciplined for the truth, is because when there's false teaching, it's probably going to logically, to our human mind, sound better than the actual truth. It may sound more logical than the actual truth because of our fleshly mind that's still there. Okay, all right, let's keep reading. Um, And so he says that here's what they're doing. They are speaking lies instead of truth. They're speaking lies in hypocrisy. In other words, even the stuff that they're teaching, they're not even living up to all of it. Having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. It's like it's been cauterized. So that part of us inside where we feel conviction... Even people who don't know God, it's already implanted. God imprinted that, that if you resist that and you feel convicted and you feel that guilt because of sin and you get to ignore that, you begin to rationalize that, that it's like taking a hot iron and cauterizing because it kills all the nerves and pretty soon you don't feel anything. That's what he said they are. They don't feel anything in their conscience because it's like it's been seared. That can happen. So what are some of the things that they were teaching? This particular instance, there was some asceticism and legalism. Some of this came out of what became known as the Gnostics. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, and then some of it were maybe some Jewish legalists. And they thought, like, all physical matter is bad. And, and they began to teach some things that weren't quite true. Okay? Paul mentioned some. Are you ready? This is, just, this is just a for instance. Here's what some of these guys are doing. They're speaking, and this is already happening. And Paul looked at himself as living in the latter times. But certainly, we're more in the latter times now than they were then. All right, so here's what was happening there. He says they're forbidding to marry. They're just saying marriage is bad. And, and commanding to abstain from foods. So it was all legalistic rules. It can abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who have faith. Those who believe and know what? The truth. All right? So, you know, as God, you know, to the Jews, he had certain restrictions for a time. Jesus actually in Mark 10 had said that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles you because you eat it, you digest it, and it's gone. All right? But he says it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you because what comes out of your mouth comes from your heart. And that's where all kinds of jealousies and greed and pride and stuff. Right? So, and, and Mark even puts in parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. But here, 
they're trying to control people. And he says that they're forbidding uh, to their, their marriage, they're abstained from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And then he says, verse 4, every creature of God is good. And nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving. Every day of creation, when God finished, he said, and God saw that it was what? Good. That's what he's kind of alluding to there. Every creature of God is good. And nothing's to be refused if it's received with, uh, with, with faith. And um, if it's received with thanksgiving, you're thankful, you realize your food comes from God. He says it is sanctified, it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Okay? So then in verse 6 he says, now you got this false teaching going. If you instruct the brethren in all these things, and this your pastor, your teaching, says you're going to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. That word minister there is diakonos. So, you know, even sometimes the preacher is also the servant as well, right? You're going to be a good servant of, of Jesus. We have, we, have, we have those who are the servants, deacons of the church, and then we're all to be deacons or servants of Jesus, right? Okay, that's just how that word's used. Um, and then he says this, that nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine or good teaching. Doctrine means teaching. Good teaching. Words of faith and good teaching, which you have carefully followed. Then he says, but reject profane and old wives' fables. The word for fables is the word we get myth from, or myths, just silly myths. Godless ideas and silly myths. It says, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to exercise yourself, or your translation may say train yourself. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. All right, so discipline, discipline is emphasized. Did you see that? In this text, discipline for truth and then for godliness. But Paul is a great example of it, and his encouragement to Timothy is to be disciplined. And we're going to explain that. That whole thing about exercise yourself, train yourself, has to do with, you know, it has to do with discipline. And to be a follower of Christ, not just a fan saying, yay, Jesus, but being a true follower, discipline is involved. What do I mean by that? Discipline means we deny ourselves. Discipline is like, I don't just do what I want to do. Some people are very disciplined in doing what they want to do. But discipline involves doing things that I don't want to do, don't feel like doing, but I need to do to achieve the goal and the purpose that God has for me. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 16. He says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, in verse 24, let him, number one, number one, what is number one? Deny himself. See, there's a part of me I have to deny. It's not just embrace Jesus. I have to deny some very selfish things. We want to follow Jesus our way on our schedule. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. If you're going to follow me, the first thing you've got to do is deny yourself. That's where it stops with most people because their real God is self. They want Jesus just to come and fit into their plans. And they actually want Jesus to follow me instead of me denying myself, taking up the cross and following you. And by the way, he says, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Anytime you saw someone carrying a cross in that day, it meant they were going to die on it. You just need to know that. And then follow him. Uh, That's what Jesus said. So there's a great example of what discipline is right there. Now, talking about discipline, it's been often said that discipline is the bridge, the discipline of denying ourselves, 
uh, is the bridge uh, that we must cross. It's the bridge between the goals and the accomplishment. You have the goal, but the bridge that connects the goal and the accomplishment is discipline, okay? But I might say this, that it needs to be God's goals and not our own goals. And that's something that's really tricky because there's a lot of times I have a lot of goals and a lot of ideas, and if I'm not careful, I can think my goals are God's goals. Well, why wouldn't God be for this, right? But I need to be in Scripture, and I need to be listening so that my goals are His goals. Actually, let's say it this way. His goals become mine. And discipline is the bridge between that and the accomplishment of it. It's been said this, because sometimes um, we, we just kind of get muddy the water. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. It's choosing what is most important in the long run over what feels most important right now. A lot of people sacrifice what's most valuable forever for what seems exciting right now, okay? We're that type of people in our culture. We want what we want now. If I wait over five minutes at the drive-thru, huh, right? I mean, we're standing around. You got you to heat that up for a minute and a half in the microwave, and you're standing around like, hey, come on. It's like a minute and a half is a long time when you're waiting watching it count down. We want everything instant right now, right? We got instant coffee. I don't know why you'd like it, but anyway, instant coffee. There's instant powdered milk, you know. Uh, who was it, Yakov Smirnoff, that said about coming to this country? He couldn't believe the grocery stores. He walked and he saw, uh, you know, it said uh, powdered coffee or instant coffee. It's like, what, what is it? So you just mix water with it, and boom, you got coffee. It's like, wow. He went a little, little further, and it's like powdered milk. He says, you mean to tell me you just put water in, and poof, you've got milk? Yes. And he walked on, and he's picked up something, and he about... He about passed out. It said baby powder. Anyway, it's very confusing. <laughs> you mean just add water? Anyway, sorry. Sorry I got off on a joke. <laughs> here's the other thing. A lot of times we think about some big things in life, and truth is the big thing. But here's the thing is, is, is where you're disciplined for the truth, it starts in the little stuff. And discipline to get where God wants you to get in life starts in the little stuff. Small disciplines done consistently lead to big results over time. It's the little things is where we struggle, isn't it? Come on. Small disciplines done consistently lead to big results over time. We need to think about in our life, in our families, and in our church, some of those small disciplines that we need to be consistent on. In verse 7, as we're reading this, you notice that Paul said for him that to refuse profane and old wise fables. That really means irreverent and silly myths. And to exercise himself rather unto godliness. That word for exercise means to train or to discipline. It is actually, are you ready for a little, can I teach a little bit here? Are you ready? It's actually the Greek word gymnazo. That's the actual word that Paul wrote that's translated into our language all these thousands of years later. And that, that word, as it says there, involves the idea of discipline. So that's why discipline came in and is our word for today. It involves denying yourself. And it can involve getting rid of those things that slow you down. Now listen to me. It's the word that we get our English word today because the English language developed much later. Are you with me? It's the word that we get our English word gymnasium from. It is. And it was used of those athletes who disciplined themselves because to the Greeks, you know, athletics was very important. You know, like they invent the Olympics, right? But it was also important to the Romans. And it seems like 
Paul may have been a sports fan because he uses athletic illustrations probably more than you realize. And that's kind of what he's doing here. So he's saying gymnasticize yourself, or he means discipline yourself, train yourself. Now the word actually, if you look this up yourself, you're going to see gumnos is the root word, and it literally means to be naked, okay? So don't be freaked out by that. It's just one of those words that developed over time that the early athletes, they got rid of everything, and it's not that they were totally naked. And you see athletes now, whether they're running or swimming, they're, you know, you're not going to see somebody running a race wearing flippers. You know what I'm saying? Or carrying their backpack. You know, well, listen, you're running a hundred meter, you know, you might ought to take that backpack that has your, 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 your sweats and everything in it and lay it over there. Now, I don't want anybody to get it, so I think I'll just wear it. No runner would do that. Because why? Slow you down. It'll slow you down. Uh, that's what this, this word, I, I don't, this, this sounds gross, but that word that he says exercise, train yourself, it has the smell of sweat in it. In other words, hard work, discipline, Okay. Are you following me? And it has to do with denying yourself. It has to do with keeping your eye on the goal. It has to do with not always doing what you feel like doing and wanting to do. But it means that you are dedicated and you are disciplined to keep to a certain path because of the goal that God has for you. And it also means getting rid of some things that slow you down. It's not just, listen, the things that trip us up that can ruin the race. It'd be wearing the backpack would not be a good idea either, right? So that means there's some things that, not, not, that, that might not trip us up, but they slow us down. Those need to go. All right? Why do I say that? Because that's what the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. He said, let us lay aside every weight. We're running the race of faith. Lay aside every, not just, he says, lay aside every weight and the sin which easily ensnares us. It's like the sin would trip us and make us fall. Well, that's one of the worst things that can happen in a race is for a runner to fall. But he said also the weights that slow you down. And said, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, okay? So what things are slowing me down? And these, these are things that we need to be disciplined about, that we need to think about. Uh, so our approach to this passage that, that, it, it, that, that we're, we're going to have for the next few weeks could be summed up, especially today, in verse 16, which I didn't read. Can we read it now? I'm going to read this in the English Standard Version, which is a very literal, very awesome translation. First Timothy Chapter 4, verse 16 says, this is the last verse of this chapter that we're reading right now. He says, keep a close watch. New King James says, take heed. Guess what take heed means? It means watch out, keep a close watch, okay? Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching of the doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself, discipline, and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So basically, it's that teaching, that truth, that you need to be disciplined and pay attention to yourself and pay attention to the truth. Because in doing that, that's not only what saves you, but if you're trying to teach others, it's what will save them also. This is so crucial. Oops, I run into that. Watch out. So what's he saying? Take heed. He's saying, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Better check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's been a while since I've said that. All right, so here's some things about God's truth that we see here. I want you just to get a few things down, all right? You ready to get it down? 
Let's get it down. I'm going to put it up there so you can see it. It's just a visual thing, and I'm going to use every tool that I have to help teach and to preach because I promise you, we don't have to have all that, but I promise you the devil is using every tool in the book to steal your attention and steal your mind. So we want to saturate our minds with God's truth. I want you to think about something. How much time do we spend in God's truth each week? Hmm? How much time do we spend getting stuff pumped into us from the world and our culture that is false? So is it any wonder what influences us the most? Um, Let's go on and let's get a couple of points here. First of all, and once again, my color is kind of dark. Can you see that? God's truth is permanent. It's one thing you need to mark down. God's truth is permanent. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be truth. Psalm 119, 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And I'm telling you, if it's settled in heaven, I guarantee you it's settled here. People on earth can deny it. People on earth can say, I don't believe it. People on earth can reject it. But guess what? They can debate it. But in heaven, where it counts, it's a done deal. And you can deny God's truth. You can run from God's truth all your life. I'm just telling you, the truth is, is that one of these days you're going to stand before him and we're going to be judged out of the things written in this book. Believe it or not. Just because you don't believe something doesn't make it not true. It is permanent. God's truth exists outside the realm of mankind and separate from man's opinions and ideas. Truth is not what people think it is or say it is. Truth is what God declares that it is. God's truth never changes, ever, because it is perfect and it is pure. So, people today want to teach us that truth is relative. That means, and you've heard it, well, what's true for you may not be true for me. Hmm? God says his truth is objective. That means it doesn't matter what anybody does or says. It's always true and it always will be true. It can never change. It's not subject to private interpretation. If it has been true, it's always going to be true. I want to build my life on something that's never going to change. That I know is not just true thousands of years ago and is still true today. But it's going to be true throughout all eternity. Something is not true if it changes, okay? God's truth is timeless, and it never changes. So that's why I just want to stick to this book and the truth, okay? If it may not be popular, but it's true. The way God has designed for the home, as we've been talking about, and the church to operate may not be popular, but it's true. He's the creator, the designer. He's the one that knows how it works, If we follow his manual and stay in his guidelines, we're going to have a lot better time, right, than if we don't. Okay. God's truth is permanent. Second thing that I want us to note is God's truth is recorded. It's not just out there somewhere. God grafted. The word graphe in Greek is what we get the word scripture from. God put it down on paper for us. God's word is recorded, or God's truth is recorded in his word. In fact, the Bible declares of itself that his word is truth. Aren't you glad that there's still truth in the universe that you can grab a hold of and build your life on and it never changes? Everything in our world is just like, you know, you know, for a while it wasn't good to eat eggs, and now they tell you to eat an egg, right? Who knows what's next? I just, I, you know, I just get tired of all that. Don't trust them, but I can trust the Word of God because it never changes, amen? Amen. 
All right, his word is truth. In fact, he tells us in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them. And that word means make them holy. Set them apart by your truth. Then he says, your word is truth. The word of God is truth. God's truth not only is permanent, God's truth has been recorded in his word. Jesus, in fact, is the embodiment of that truth. That God's truth actually came to us in a visible form through Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. Amen? Um, In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am what? The truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reason why is he's the only way. As I've said before, Jesus, Bible doesn't teach that Jesus is the best way to heaven. See, our world today, they want to mix it all together and just say, well, there's many paths, many paths. Jesus didn't say he was the best way to heaven. He said he was the only way to heaven. There is no other way to come to the Father except through him. You can believe that or you cannot, but then here's the deal. If you say, I don't believe it, you need to realize you're staking your life and your eternity on that. And you need to be, what's going to happen is, is, is you're making a gamble and you're going to pay with your eternal soul. The stakes are high. And I try to tell people who say they don't believe, and a lot of people will say that because they, they, it's not that they don't believe, they just don't want to talk about it or deal with it at this point in life because they don't think they're going to die. So one way to get you off their back is just say, well, I don't believe. And then you get all offended, right? So, so I, most people like that, you know, when something bad's about to happen, they're like, oh, God, help us. You know, it's like, oops, who are you talking to? Anyway, the thing about it is, is that um, people need to realize that this is not something you can afford to be wrong about. It's not something you just form an easy opinion. And, and, and I challenged a guy one time. I said, if you really believe that, you're staking your whole existence on that. I would want to at least back up and take a look at what's the message of this book and just be sure. And I'm not going to try to pressure you, but I want to be there to help you get the right message so that so many people misunderstand. He's got bits and pieces, all kinds of opinions formed about the Bible. Guess where those came from? Seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. He had a wrong idea about all of it. And um, I can't say this guy's come to faith yet, but he certainly is on his way, sometimes a process. Okay, let's move on, because uh, his truth is recorded in his word. And, um, and, and it's not only his word is truth, but all his scripture, the word of God, is given by inspiration of God. Uh, it's all given by inspiration of God, the word of God, the Bible. Verse on that, of course, is in 2 Timothy 3.16, where he says, all scripture is given by inspiration. That word inspiration means God breathed. It's all breathed out by God. And it's profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, to straighten us out and correct us, and to instruct us in righteousness. Righteous means living in the way that God wants us to live. All right? Living in the right way that God wants to live. We're going to talk, Lord willing, next week about godliness. And godliness is just living your life according to God's will, God's way. Now, how did they do that? I thought man wrote the Bible. God didn't just "Ah," breathe it out. Well, when you breathe, when you talk, your breath comes over your vocal cords to make sound. And that's kind of part of the illusion. It all comes from God. But God used men to write it down. And Peter tells us a little bit how that happened. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he says, Knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It doesn't mean one thing to you and something else to someone else. Now, a Scripture properly interpreted and understood might have different 
applications in our lives as we're dealing with things, but it doesn't mean one thing and then mean something different, right? That's what that's about. It's not of a private interpretation. For prophets, because it didn't come from you. It's not up to you to... It came from God, and God said what he meant and meant what he said. And he goes on to explain that because that, that word, God's word speaking forth in the old time, he's talking about the Old Testament. It did not come by the will of man. It's not up to you to say this is what God's saying. But he said, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And these are the ones that ended up being written down because he calls it scripture, and that means it was written down. As they were moved. That word moved comes from a Greek word that means to be borne along or carried along. It was a word that was a nautical term that was used of the wind and the sails that moved a boat. So, in other words, God used men in their own personality and style to write the words down. But the Holy Spirit was the wind and the sails that carried them and caused them to write down the words that God wanted. And we believe. Can I throw something at you? Our church, we not only believe in the inspiration of scriptures... I mean all the way from Genesis to maps, right? I don't mean the maps are inspired. I mean, you know, usually right after the book of Revelation is maps in your Bible. Okay, never mind. Woo! Tough audience. Tough, tough. Tough out there, man. Tough. Just trying to break the tension a little bit. Goodness. All right, Genesis to Revelation. We believe it's all inspired, but we also believe it this way. We believe in the, we'll throw some words at you, the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. Plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. That means that it's not only inspired of God and that each writer was able to use their own personality and style, but yet the Holy Spirit so superintended this process even down to the choice of each word. That's why a lot of times I want to look and see what the original word is and what it means because I believe every word of the Bible is inspired by God. So it is written down, it is recorded for us, and God's truth can be known and understood. It's not just some mystery out there that it's just something, some fairy tale. It can be known and it can be understood uh, by you and by me. Um, listen at this. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed on him, they had faith in him, if you abide in my word, right, his word is truth. Talking about truth. Still, right? Yes? Okay. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. His word is truth. And what will it do? The truth will set you free. You can know the truth. You can know it. It is knowable. And it can be understood. Truth is objective data to be known, studied, contemplated, and understood. It's not just some mystical, mystical, sensational thing. It is truth that can be studied, can be known intellectually as well as spiritually and applied to your life. It engages our intellect. Therefore, the doctrine on which we base our faith must be sound. That means it must be biblical, all right? All right, how about one more? Uh, God's truth is also to be loved, to be loved. And I'm going to say that and throw this verse up there because there's coming a time, and I believe this is talking about a time that had some things to do with them, but it has to do with future fulfillment as well. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about this lawless one who is coming. There's a lawless one coming. And one reason why it doesn't seem like maybe this has fully happened yet is because he's going to be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's coming. All right, But it says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Paul 
talked about teachings that actually come. But listen to this. It says, with all power, signs, and lying wonders. There's going to be power. Listen, just because something seems powerful doesn't mean it's of God. And it says signs. Those are miracles. Just because somebody may work a miracle and say they did it in Jesus' name doesn't mean that they actually did. I'm just telling you. Are you with me? This is serious. And lying wonders. There's going to be wonders. There's going to be miraculous things. But they're lying. They're false. But you're going to not know that. And you're going to get swept up in it if you don't watch it. Because it says, and with all unrighteous deception. See, this is all deceiving. So it's going to act like it's from God when it's not. Among those who perish. Those who follow it are going to perish. Why? Why? Why would people be deceived? Why would people believe those things? Why would people be pulled away from the truth? And why would they perish? Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You can mean well, but if you don't love God's truth and stay rooted and grounded in God's truth, and somebody come along and they're doing miracles and they're doing signs, and you say, well, look at all of this, this and you get swept away with false teaching because you're not looking at and studying and comparing it to God's truth, you'd be in trouble. So I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. It's what matters is, is knowing this and applying it to your life. Knowing God's truth in your heart. A love for God's truth. I want to wrap this up now because um, uh, there's so much more we can say about being... You see why it's important to be disciplined for the truth? You see why he's telling Timothy that there's going to be people that's going to be teaching falsely and you need to be a good minister and you need to stick to the truth? Another reason is, is that God's truth is opposed by the enemy. <laughs> Satan's always going to be working against the truth. And you know what? You can do a lot of things here and attract a huge crowd, but we say we're going to try to teach verse by verse through Timothy. Not a whole lot of people get excited about it, right? Satan wants to work to cause us to not be excited. I'm, I'm excited about the Word of God. I'm not just doing this because this is what I like to do. This is what God called me to do. But I'm telling you, when you're really in the Word of God, there's times I try to get discouraged. I try to get like everything. But I'm like Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah, God called him to preach, and, and nobody was listening. He was telling them what God was going to do, and the people didn't listen. And it's like he had the most unsuccessful ministry that you would say ever because he really basically had nobody no converts, nobody listening, nobody following hardly. And everything that he said was from God and it came true. And one time Jeremiah got so discouraged, he's like, I'm just not even going to speak his name. I'm not even going to preach anymore. But then in the next verse it says, but his word was like a fire shut up in my bones. I couldn't contain it. See, if this is a word of God, we're talking about the one who spoke the universe into existence. And his word, his truth is in you. I'm telling you, you can't contain it. Uh, Satan, though, will oppose it. But guess what? He hasn't got the power to defeat us unless we let him. Amen. So Paul says that in these latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils or demons. It's actually the word for demons. So the forces of evil are constantly at work to subvert and to pervert the truth. If Satan cannot stop the church from spreading the truth by using outside persecution, then he will work from within inside the church using false teaching who are inspired and empowered by Satan to spread false teaching. And remember, as Jesus said, a little bit of leaven can leaven the whole lump. It begins to spread. That's what's happening a lot of times in churches today. We're living in that age. Did you know that? We're living in, Paul was as well, but we're really living in that age. If ever before, you need to know the truth. It's today. And that's why we do classes. We do things. We've been doing a discipleship class. Uh, we've got different things to help root and ground you 
in sound teaching. You know the power-up course that we do? It's like 12 lessons. It's all basic stuff where you find the verses that go with the teaching in context so that you get a good basis of that. We may actually do one of those again during Sunday school for those who haven't gone through it. It's just, it's never bad. I love doing it to go back and, you know what? Let me tell you. Can I tell you something? I'm going to. You never waste time to go check the foundation. We're polishing the outside and everything, but you need to check the foundation because if there's cracks there, it doesn't matter what the rest of the building looks like, it could all come down. We need to make sure we're on solid foundation. Uh, but Satan will oppose, and he, he continually tries to do that. Um, and this is why we need to grow, because the sad thing is, is a lot of times we're not giving attention to it. Peter says that we ought to start out desiring the pure milk of the word and then progress to strong meat. Uh, we're nourished up in the faith. Look at that verse before we close out here, where he said in verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good servant, a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and good teaching, which you have carefully followed. It's our nourishment. It's our spiritual nourishment. What would it be like if you ate one meal a week? You wouldn't be very healthy, would you? If, you, if this is all you get, is the sermon you hear me preach, for a week, you're, you're, you're going to starve spiritually. You're not going to be well-nourished. And that's the whole thing is we've got to learn to teach people. And, and there's ones of, uh, of us are called to teach and to preach and to encourage and do all that, and that's continual. But yet, if we're doing our job right, we're teaching you to feed yourself spiritually. The Word of God, the truth. Don't feed on the wrong stuff. That's our problem. All week long, we're feeding on the wrong stuff. That's why we struggle. So we're nourished up in the faith. God's truth is our spiritual food. Um, he says in Hebrews that... In chapter 5, verse 12, he said, By this time you ought to be teaching others. But yet you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, the very foundational things. You've become like those who you ought to be eating steak, but you still need to be on the bottle. Okay, spiritually. Then he says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. He's a babe. Just like a baby can't do a lot, but they need to nourish. They need to grow so they can advance to that. Um, And so he said, but you ought to be past that. Then he says, but solid food belongs to those who are mature, of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They are using the word of God. They're plugging the word of God in their life. They're able to decide what is right and what is wrong and making decisions because they're using the word of God. Instead of just reading it and, yeah, that's good, I believe it, but you're not using it. How was it that Jesus faced Satan in, in, in the garden? Or not in the garden, uh, but, but after the fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. And Satan twisted the word and said, well, isn't it written this? Jesus came right back with the word correctly applied. He used the word of God as, see, listen to me. Are you, uh, this is, we're going to set it down right here, right? We've buzzed the tower a time or two, but we're coming in for a landing. Word of God is not only our, or the truth of God is not only our nourishment, but the truth of God is also our weapon. You know the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, is what? What do you say in Ephesians six? The taking the sword of the Spirit, which is the what? The Word of God. It is also our weapon. So the enemy, guess what? No wonder we're walking in the flesh and we're being run over by temptation. The enemy. Is taking, listen to me, the enemy is taking many of us down without even a fight because we refuse to have a good diet and we refuse to even put on the armor. We're easy pickings. So the question is we're going to come back to discipline next week. 
And we focused on the discipline for the truth, mainly being focused on the truth, but the discipline. How's your discipline? Does God's truth give you a workout every day? It does me. It works me over every day. I want to be disciplined to stay in his truth. And I want to be disciplined to deny myself and follow him and apply his truth to my life. Do you know the truth? Do you believe the truth? Father, help us.